Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Caleb Horton, and I am here with the incredible spoken word artist and co-founder of Burke Noir, Miss Ebony Isis Booth. Peace. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, thank you. We are so blessed to have you in studio today. Thank uh, you. It's a blessing to be here. Yes, ma'am. Uh, would you share a little bit more about yourself? Well, um, my name is Ebony Isis Booth, as you said. I am a spoken word poet, but also um, a program and communication coordinator. Um, I work in nonprofits. I do some social media consulting and event planning. Um, I am the proud auntie of two amazing children, Alea and Corday, um, who are my niece and nephew, um, my stepson, Kalem, and, you know, my partner, Hakeem. So I'm I'm real proud today to, to say that I am my own type of matriarch in my family unit. That's important, and that's revolution for me right now, is loving my family and um, bringing events, quality events to the community like Burke and Noir, which is a networking and performance artist showcase for African-American artists in and around New Mexico. So that's amazing. So when you when you open your phone and you saw the police murders of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, in one word, what was your reaction? Terrified. I was terrified um, because I hadn't, um, I actually hadn't, I somehow I had been able to dodge having these, these interactions with social media. Like um, last year when um, Sandra Bland was murdered or well, well, I believe was murdered in police custody, um, I wouldn't watch the video. And I like made this huge blog post about it and was just like, I'm not watching the video and here's why, because I don't need to be reminded of the, the trauma that I experienced just, you know, driving down the street. <laughs> we've, we've seen too much. Right. So then I was able to kind of dodge the, um, Alton Sterling video. I, I elected to not watch it on Facebook. Um, but I knew about it. I had seen his son break down at the press conference and broke down myself. I had a real rough day that day. And that night I was sitting at home and I was on the couch scrolling through Facebook in a pretty glum mood. And I happened to scroll and the live feed um, that uh, Philando Castile's uh, girlfriend or fiance was streaming popped up on my on my feed. And I just see this man bleeding. And I it took my brain a while to process what was happening. And then when I realized I was watching him bleed out and die in live feed in live time and um hearing terror and like the anger and the fear and panic in the officer's voice when he was yelling um, and still pointing the gun at this now obviously deceased man who's I just watched him take his last breaths on television so it was a lot it was a whole lot um, for my brain and my heart and my spirit and I became panicked and got terrified I was afraid I couldn't go to I couldn't fall asleep I was waiting for my partner to get home he had to leave and go downtown and so I instantly became afraid for him um, and for me and for my dad and for my brother and for every other motorist at that point um, it was just very very surreal so I would say I was terrified um, and I think and I still am I'm still definitely suffering from from the fear and violence and watching these snuff films um, on television every day that fear is like so real on both sides like I don't know why cops are so afraid of black men and why we have to fear them fear for our lives from the people who are meant to protect and serve well I mean 
I think we have to be uh, fear, I guess, is, you know, perhaps subjective when you think about it. I, I'm not confused as to why um, there is a fear of of the black man or fear of black bodies. Um, I think the invisibility that's associated with our the results of of slavery and institutional racism and systematic oppression and all of those things, the results the results are that we we make certain people invisible based off their socioeconomic status, the color of their skin, their religion, um, all of those things. We put them into boxes that we can store away and compartmentalize. And then when one of those beings or bodies or humans actually appears in your line of sight, that is jarring. Um, it's not so much that you are afraid, it's that you are unfamiliar because you live in existence where you only have to see people in one way, under one light, um, and not actually connecting with them and seeing them as human beings and bodies and daughters and fathers and um, aunties and uncles. and It's like an issue of humanity and not seeing people as humans. That's why you can fire so quickly. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are at play here that are, you know, there are reasons why, let's say Alton Sterling, for instance, didn't just show up that day he had been selling cds outside of that corner store for six years um the fact that he had an alternative um revenue stream that is off the books and under the table that's his hustle you know what i mean being a convicted felon and not being able to get work but then still being able to sustain a family of five and take care of your children and be present in their families all of the strength of being the cd man like that's that's hood economy but that's a survival skill that's not a criminal that's that's creating a, an an economy for people to be able to exist in and thrive based off the conditions that we're given when we're ghettoized and put into certain neighborhoods to be made invisible to stay away from those neighborhoods that we don't see black people in on purpose you know so it's that's why Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes that's why those things happen not because they're thugs and criminals but because they're not being thugs and criminals you know, real hood mm-hmm. cats don't stand outside. That's hot. You popping. Right. If you if you really doing something busy and you stand in front of a corner store with all the lights on, you ain't really about that. You're not. That's not criminal activity. Right. You know, Philando Castile said, I have a gun on me. Mm-hmm. I'm reaching for my license. Mm-hmm. Why would he tell you he had a gun on you and then shoot you? That don't make no sense. Like, well, what, the, the thinking. But see, let's let's back up a little bit, because what I want to know is if you get pulled over for a busted traffic light. I mean, busted the taillight, right? Supposedly. It was later found that there was nothing wrong with it. But that's what he told them at the time. The officer said, taillight is out, right? For an officer to come up to the car with his gun drawn through the window already, and you haven't even asked me for my license or registration yet, and your gun's already out? Like, the situation was escalated before it even came. Like, it, it was escalated off top. If you come around to a car and there's a family in a car, a husband, a man, a woman, and a four-year-old child in a vehicle with groceries in the back seat in the middle of the afternoon, that man's not going to shoot you in front of his baby. But the perception is that, I don't know what he might do. You know what I mean? He's crazy. You know, he said he was reaching for his license. He's about to pull out on me and shoot me. And, like, Why? My issue is before the four shots went off. Um, why was that situation so heightened to begin with? And like that's, mm. but that's how I've seen police behave. So here's the other part. I've grown up knowing that tendency from police behavior my whole life, right? But now that we're watching it play out on mainstream news media and social media outlets, and now that white America is kind of being exposed to this level of trauma, and they're like, oh, wait a minute. 
well, why that doesn't make sense? Why would he have to? That's never. He must have been doing something wrong because I've never had that happen to me when I get pulled over. But I've seen cops pull up on a group of kids sitting outside of a school and jump out, guns drawn, run up, get down on the ground, roll over, put your hands behind your back, shake down their pockets just to mess with them. So, I mean, I don't know if that even answered your question, but I I think that it was just indicative of that same kind of aggression that is instantaneous um, as soon as you have an an interaction with a police officer. Like they set the tone for what the interaction is going to be because you're already afraid. So depending on how turned up he is, that might determine what your next move should be. So it's like, you know, if your cop, the, the cop that you get is on one that day and they jump out gun drawn screaming you are going to be extra careful and say officer before we even (laughs) go down that road listen let me tell you what's going on i have i have a handgun i'm armed i'm permitted i have a license i'm going to reach into my pocket to go get it which is what they tell you you're supposed to do when they give you a license to carry a concealed weapon that's the first thing that they tell you're supposed to do i mean this man didn't even take his seatbelt off and was shot four times with his baby in the backseat. It's it's so it's so real, and it's so real to African Americans right now. Like I have a big brother with a fiance and my beautiful niece and nephew, and I could only imagine him reaching for his license and getting gunned down. Like to comply is not enough. Right. I, I can't tell my brother if, if you do everything right that you're gonna be fine because the way you look, that might be that traffic stop might be the end of your life. Yeah, I mean, and when you. Are, when you also are of a when you have a target on your back that makes things a lot different too so you can comply if you want to but when you've already been targeted there's not really much you can do at that point you know what i mean when the the preconceived notions are that you are going to be you know let's say in the case of Sandra Berlander the things that make me concerned like oh she's going to have an attitude problem you know what i mean or you know um there's also the patriarchy component of you know um chauvinistic male behaviors um, that are also exacerbated by control and power of having a firearm and being a cop in a, in a vest. You, you're, you are the law. I'm not saying that, you know, cops are bad. I'm saying I've had bad experiences with police. And I think that it is getting worse um, because more people are noticing it. But it has always been really bad from the inception of the police forces that they, I mean, like, these were former overseers from right. the plantations who needed to who needed work and also needed to make sure that they kept freedmen and sharecroppers out of sight for the proper white folks who didn't want to be bothered by this antebellum BS that they weren't really here for in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these systems were set up to oppress people of color and they're Always. still alive today. Always. It, it's it's so crazy. It's like you've been telling somebody that you have like, you know, um, someone keeps asking you to go somewhere you're like, I can't go. I broke my leg. And they're like, really? You should really come. You should. I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, No, it's broken. And they're like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, it's gangrene. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You must have just twist just sat on it wrong or something when people minimalize your pain you're like no but it really actually hurts and then it's like oh wait it's amputated they had to cut it off right. before someone's like oh I, I guess maybe your foot was really hurt you know what I mean yeah. like maybe you really and it, that I feel like that's kind of where I am right now I feel like a piece of me has been cut out that mm. I've been railing against and um and now people are starting to show up and say I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. I've been thinking about you and sending in my non-black friends and really amazing allies have shown a great deal of support. And it's kind of bittersweet 
Because it's like, yeah, I mean, I've been telling you this since I could remember, you know. So, but thanks for getting on board. So now what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How do you use your privilege of not having lived this existence for, I mean, I've lived this existence for all 35 years of my life being black on earth. So now that the, the veil is being pulled off. Um, from mainstream society in white America or privileged parties or privileged racial groups in America um, are now starting to catch wind and realize it's kind of like, okay, so now what will you do? What will you, what power will your privilege afford you in this situation? Will you use it for good or for evil? I feel like people are angry. Mm-hmm. African-Americans are angry, but oh, yeah. anger comes from a deep sense of hurt, mm-hmm. from years of hurt. It's like when Tupac... Tupac was doing this interview and talking about like privilege and he's like if you're looking inside a house and they got they're having a feast they're throwing around food they're throwing around turkey and you're hungry and you're knocking on the door singing we are hungry please let us in mm-hmm. after years of asking and asking and seeing them eat by the end you're like I'm busting the door I'm coming in you know what I mean yeah. like you're angry yeah you know you, right. that's when you want to be like okay right. enough is enough um it it hurts. I sat at my desk the other day and I cried because I was watching I was watching the People versus O. J. Simpson and the Mark Furman tapes um where it were in the last two episodes of this of the series and I was like thirteen years old, thirteen, fourteen when the O. J. Simpson trial was going on. So all of my perception about it came through the filter of my parents and the adults around me at the time. So and they were very pro O. J. Like, you know, we're just gonna take this one for the team because That's the one time a black man got off for right. for being black. Yeah, but here's the thing. That's not really why he got off, though. Mm. He got off because Mark Furman was such a wretched, right. evil, horrible, disgusting racist. The things that that man said in that tape about black people and the way that he terrorized us as a community, as a representative of the Los Angeles Police Department, for 13-some-odd hours, those tapes, that man said things that are unthinkable. I was going to post about it on Facebook because I was still all traumatized about having seen it the night before as an adult and then processing that with what's going on. But I changed my mind and I stopped I stopped watching it and clicked over to another tab. And there was a video of these black kids um, tap dancing in uh, cypher to um, Janelle Monae's song, Hell You Talking About, which is an, like a freedom chant for, for 2016 and for what we've been dealing through, dealing with through Black Lives Matter and police violence and whatnot. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, so I'm watching the babies dance to the song and I'm listening to Mark Furman say these horrible, hateful things playing in the background in a different tab. And y'all, I just wept. I sat at my desk and wept like, how could anybody hate me so much? Hate all of us so much. We didn't ask for any of this. We, we, we're still out here. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're still out here. We're teaching your babies. We're saving your, your lives in surgery. We're running your country. Nothing that we do is enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whether or not we're quiet and reserved or we're loud and out front, if we're Dennis Rodman or, you know, um, Kanye West, then that's too much ego for a black man to have. Or, you know what I mean? When you're um, Bryant Gumbel, then you're not black enough. Or, you know, there's so many things that you have to do. It's like the movie The Running Man. Like, I feel like I'm running through a gauntlet constantly to try not to be um, excised from the earth based off my skin color. Mm -hmm. It hurts because it's pervasive and it's everywhere. And we are people, you know, I'm somebody's daughter. 
I got a mama. Mm-hmm. I have stories of my childhood. Everybody does. We're And the fact that we dismiss all of those things as being anything valid based off the color of our skin or what God we serve or who we sleep with is, I think, is the greatest fault of human civilization, that we just can't see each other for who we are and, and celebrate our individuality instead of trying to make everything so tribal and um and separate we had our generation justice meltdown cry fest Mm. i told everyone i said i'm not defeated Mm -hmm. we're not defeated as a a, black is beautiful look at our culture look at what what we bring to the table and that will always give me hope and i was looking around the room and looking at how how different everybody was and we came from different backgrounds and we can all agree on the same issue. Mm-hmm. So that there's beauty in humanity, no matter how many Mark Furman's there is. Right. You know what I mean? For there, sure. There's, there's Obama's. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, from a multicultural perspective, one thing that I do think that's beautiful that's happening that I'm noticing is that there's a lot of different movements going on. There's a lot of, um, of unrest and 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 tumult in the world, right? And everybody has a cause. Um, we can all work together, though. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't have to mean being divisive. That basically means I see you doing your work in your lane. Let me know what you need. This is me doing my work in this lane. But we're all moving forward toward the same to one common goal. We all want to speak truth to power, and we all want to affect change for our lives, for our people, for our communities, and for our planet because. We don't want to, we didn't, I, you know, listen, I didn't come this far. We didn't make it this long through 500 years of, of this much to be um, as brilliant as we are. Like, when you think about it, African-Americans have like, we got like 50 years in, in, in as far as like having basic civil rights and access to the same basic things that, that white Americans have, right? So we're starting at a huge setback or deficit. Native American communities, same thing. You know what I mean? Like they experienced generational setback where literally entire generations were wiped out completely. So they're starting from ground zero in some places where they're just like still piecing together their first people, you know what I mean? And and identifying what kind of tribal affiliations they have and where they come from and who they are and being able to celebrate that. So we had some setbacks, but at the same token, we still have people who are like light years ahead of anybody else on the planet right now. You know why? Because, you know, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. You know, so it's 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 going to be all right. We are going to be just fine. Um, people of color have a way of rallying around one another in times of crisis to be able to support and get through and make magic out of like nothing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the beauty of it. That's so true. Is there a poem you'd like to share with us? There is. Um, so I wrote this poem it seems like it was like Mike Brown and Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin. And it was just, there was an, there was a, a, a a long strain where um, young black men were dying, like young, young. And um, I think it was, I can't, one after the Dallas shooting, someone asked um, Philando Castile's mother, what her opinions were about the Dallas shooting. And she was like, my son has been dead for 48 hours. Do you think I care? 
about anything other than the fact that my baby is gone right now. You know what I mean? Like, but we all just want to shove microphones in people's faces and put a press conference on television. And it's like, they're still mourning that baby, the 15 year old boy who broke down um, Alton Sterling's son, like what, you know? So I have this poem that I wrote in dedication to um, the mothers, the parents who have to mourn publicly in the face of these type of crises. And, um, and this is, this is for them. Hey, Lordy Mama, I heard you wasn't feeling good. They spread dirty rumors all around the neighborhood. They say you're mean and evil and just don't have a clue. And that's the reason that he's gone and left you black and blue. Hey, girl, tell me, tell me what you gonna do. Too soon are too many done, drowned in blood and power, choked by batons and gunpowder. 10,000 ways to die, but this trend leaves black folks $10,000 shy of a respectable home going. Young corpses are costly. Cover the abrasions with cake foundation. Fashion neckties around severed spinal cords and bruised flesh, black and blue flesh. Boys in blue tear through black boy flesh. Black boys buried in Jordans we thought they might die for. Big Mama and them allow Al Sharpton's people to flip through family albums to choose a good pick. One where the blue, broken baby with the big eyes looks like a nice boy. Launch a GoFundMe. Or judge a bereaved mother for not having her first, middle, or youngest child's lives insured. Primp and primetime mama and daddy for the spotlight. Consider the authenticity of designer frames damning tears on Piers Morgan tonight. She last spoke with her son last night. Yesterday, everything was all right. But today, black mommies and daddies are interrogated in HD, hiding behind knockoff shades, protecting us from seeing their gamma strength pain. Because just yesterday, they only knew each other's names and now beg the world for clicks to collect enough money to pay a man to handle the baby's blue, broken, black body. The baby boy you gestated, now forsaken down here, dead on granite in summertime, in the morgue, looking at a face that will offer no smirk or bear family resemblance next of kin, mother, father. Father, they had the same smile, but you can't tell right now. Yesterday, they laughed deep and mouths spread wide open, chest full of air and ambition. But today, bellowed from the darkest place where the light goes to fade, chest full of lead and systematic oppression. Conversations in the kitchen are now hushed and heavy. Sounds of sorrow provide a soundtrack. News cameras that never come when black boys burn holes through their reflections as an exercise in belonging somewhere. Take up spots on the block to displace the D-boys. Rhonda's coming from the shop to smooth the frayed hair and soothe the frazzled nerves of mama. See, she can't go on TV looking any old kind of way, so in ritual of black girl magic, they share herb and small white pills served in Advil caps with a sip of beer. Here, swallow this. Get ready to talk about how when you say he didn't deserve to die, you don't sound too maternal. 
Keep the weeping to a minimum. Tears read better on camera when they stream. What kind of child have you raised that he might find himself on the uncontested end of a barrel? Plastic gun tucked in his waistband like childhood contraband. What kind of child have you raised that he might find himself too big, too black, too alive, too much for this world before the men come to lay his body down for good this time? Tell us again how he was a good kid. Convince the world in this next 45 seconds segment that your pain is not dangerous. Tell us again where you were that day. But if you could somehow soften your face, perhaps then you wouldn't look so intimidating. The polls show that viewers are having a hard time sympathizing with you and your wailing kinfolk, crying over this, another dead body who no one has money to bury because planning funerals for children who have not yet lived does not make your list of things to do. When the only thing you have consistently excelled at is keeping your baby alive, so one more nightly newscast before they give your now cold, blue, broken baby's body back before they let you mourn your murdered offspring. Get yourself together enough to get together enough to take off those shades. Stand before the world in another clip, telling us how you've forgotten and forgiven the men who did this. It's funny how powerful art can be. Yeah, I mean, it saved my life. Um, Right now, my love poems are um, because I believe love is the answer. My poetry is is angry and sad and honest because I have to use that to process. Um, it's not about me, you know. I'm a vessel. You know, I, I don't think anybody's ego should be motivating their involvement or activism in this movement. I think that's what makes it pure when you're using your artistic talent and your creative skill or prowess to tell the truth in a way that um, we are just not seeing, it's not being done, you know? Mark Furman is one, is a Fox News, is a Fox News um, personality. Still to this day, they still call, they still usher, bring him out. Yeah, everybody's looking at me like, what? True story. He is a Fox News analyst still to this day. So if Mark Furman can use his platform to speak his agenda and Fox News will support that and cut him a check to say crazy things and Stacey Dash to get on television and and say foolish things like we care about what Dion from Clueless thinks about the social movement. Like if that is what they will allow them to do, then why should I not come on the radio and read my poem that I wrote about how hard it is to bury your son when he's 12 and the cop shot him in two seconds? I, 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 I can't talk about anything else but that. So that's artivism. You know, um, when you remove the ego from it and, and tell the truth and use your tools to tell it in a way that other people are not telling it, then that's how you that's when you're making a difference. You have to go there. You have to go to that place. You have to get completely naked and go to that place where you are scared and vulnerable and your hands are shaking. And I promise you, every single time, if you let yourself get that open, you will be replenished because you will receive what you need to heal. It will come to you. But the only way you can get there is to actually bear it. And that's hard to ask people to do in a time where we're being slaughtered. It's a rough world out there. It's a hard hustle, but it's not the end. And we can get there, but we have to be brave enough to be vulnerable and go forward and do this work. And I I have full faith that we'll be rewarded for that. Well, um, thank you 
so much for being here today. We, you really blessed blessed us today Thank with you. your insights and your words. You blessed me. <laughs> and if somebody were to look at you and not want to be a part of you because of color of your skin, they would miss out on an incredible light and the incredible power that you bring with your words. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, see the see somebody's heart. If you look in their eyes long enough, you will. Yeah. <laughs>